Hello and welcome to another episode of A Slice of Health, the Candid Health Chat podcast, where we slice away health truth from health fiction. Join me and my friends as we challenge common health myths via chit chat, powered by several cups of coffee. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media and do visit us at a sliceofhealth.club. Let's get to today's episode. Hello health champions, welcome to today's episode. Merry Christmas wherever you are. It's Christmas Day 2019 and I am super excited. Wherever you're listening to this, I will be on the Seychelles Island, relaxing and drinking some mojitos by the beach and just enjoying some Christmas sunshine. And I hope you are enjoying Christmas wherever you are as well. I hope you're with family. I hope you're with friends. I hope you're with people you love and cherish. And if you're at work, I hope you have some time for yourself. As I'm sure quite a few of my colleagues, especially in the medical field, in the NHS, are working today. And I just want to say thank you so much for all you do, your service to humanity, to all of us. It is much appreciated. Today we're going to be talking about self-care. What is self-care? Is self-care a myth? Is it a reality? Is it a new age fantasy that has come into tradition and existence in our what what we refer to as the snowflake tradition or the snowflake generation? Or is it actually something that is needed, something that is necessary? And how can we engage in self-care over the Christmas period, over the holidays? It is often said that often during the holiday times and often during the Christmas period, a lot of people find that they struggle with their mental health, that they struggle feeling merry and bright during the season that they're supposed to feel merry and bright. And that is because of the pressures that comes with being around family, that is also associated with the pressures that comes be, by being compared to others, by being compared to family members, or being asked questions about your career, about your life goals, about your life choices, and also being surrounded by triggers and triggering episodes from your past and your childhood that people have not really come to terms with and they've not really understood that these certain behaviors and these patterns can actually trigger low mood, bad flashbacks and recreate the trauma that some of us have experienced in the past. And so what we're going to be talking about today is how to get through the holiday season without stepping back into bad patterns of coping. And we're going to be discussing good coping strategies to exercise during the Christmas season and all holiday seasons for that matter. How do we best use these strategies on a daily basis during the holiday season to enable ourselves to move forward, to enable ourselves to hold on to our potentially therapy getaways and exercise good self-care so that we are not trapped in the negative cycle of perpetual negative thoughts, negative emotions and triggering anxiety episodes. Michelangelo, the famous artist, said, My soul can find no staircase to heaven unless it be through Earth's loveliness. And that is rather interesting, isn't it? How does one access heaven if you do believe in heaven? But leaving the spiritual realm, I suppose his talking about heaven could potentially be a state of bliss, a state of complete serenity, a state where there is no sorrow, no pain, no loss, 
where you're one with yourself and yourself is one with you. But then he says, we cannot access it unless we access it through Earth's loveliness. And anyone who's lived more than a day on Earth knows that there's so much pain here on Earth. There's so many things that happen that make us question that aspect of his statement. Is Earth really lovely? Is it really pleasant? Is it really all it's cranked up to be? Is it truly a place of joy and peace and gladness? Is joy to the world, as we often sing, a reality for some of us? Or is Christmas time a time of sorrow, a time of pain, a time of tragedy? So we're going to be talking about self-care. And we're also going to be talking about why, especially at the holiday season, do people feel most isolated, most alone? Why do people feel all by themselves, even when they're sitting around a table that is surrounded by tons and tons of family members? Why do people withdraw into themselves when they seemingly ought to be excited and happy in the presence of family members? So we're going to be talking about identifying your triggers first of all, and then we'll talk about self-care. What can we do to actually make these seasons pleasant, acceptable and enjoyable in the long run? So before we go into talking about triggers and identifying your triggers, I just want to interject to mention seasonal affective disorder, which is a type of depression that is related to changes in the weather. It often begins and ends around the same time, often beginning in fall or or autumn months and going on into the winter months, especially as the weather begins to change and daylight time begins to get shorter and we then become more exposed to dark times as well. This often affects energy levels, increases lethargy, exhaustion, and often causes a drop in mood, making people who thought they were not having difficulties with their mood actually realize that they are actually struggling with their mood, and often then presents with features of clinical depression. There are lots of treatments available for what we refer to as SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder, including light therapy, medications, and psychotherapy. We'd normally recommend that if you are experiencing these symptoms, do not just brush it off and say it is the winter blues or it's just the weather. Do see your GP or your healthcare practitioner. Speak to them about what's going on and how you're feeling and allow them to make an assessment alongside you as to what would be the best way to approach and treat whatever it is that is causing the symptoms that you've been experiencing. So we're going to move on to talking about triggers. And what exactly is a trigger? I think recently we've heard a lot of people talking about triggers. This triggers me, that triggers me. But what is a trigger? We all have triggers. Everyone has a trigger. And that's simply because of the way our brains are wired. We develop responses as a result of experiences or stimuli that we receive. And so when someone says something that may not be a big deal to someone else, it upsets you. That's a trigger. And why does it upset you is what we need to understand. Why does that statement or that experience produce a different response in you 
as opposed to it producing a different response in someone else. That is what we need to discuss. A simple example of this would be the recent movie by Netflix. Netflix released a drama titled Unbelievable. It was a series documenting the timeline of a lady who had been raped and sexually assaulted. No one believed this lady until the perpetrator committed this atrocity time and time again, years later. Eventually she was believed. However, watching the Netflix series, several women and men who had experienced sexual assault in the past would have had triggering episodes by watching it, while others who had never had that kind of experience would not have. This is a good example of what a trigger is, where something specific brings back in you the feeling that you had at a point when you felt helpless, you felt alone, you felt victimized, you felt ashamed. These are what triggers are. And sometimes we do not know why we react to certain things. We do not know why we suddenly feel shame, anger, depression, anxiety when we're suddenly in a situation. Sometimes we feel off-center, off-balance. Sometimes our day is thrown off completely because of one statement someone said. And we're not quite sure why to place it, how to place it, what exactly was it about that statement that made me so upset, that made me burst out into tears, that made me seem hysterical to others, but I'm actually feeling a lot of pain here. That is what we're talking about. Why are we having these triggers? Triggers are natural, but identifying the triggers are the best way to help us then cope and develop a response that can then be consistent. Identifying our triggers can help us work back to our trauma and begin to do the work required to move forward and manage our responses. So how do we identify our triggers? How do we identify emotional triggers? So when talking about triggers, the first step is identifying them. And common situations that cause triggers are feelings of rejection, feelings of pain, feelings of blame, of shame, someone being critical or judgmental of us, someone not understanding us and making a judgment towards us, someone being unavailable towards us, discounting us, people leaving, people rejecting us, or even people threatening that they will leave or reject us in relationships and friendships, people not being happy to see us, sexual advances that are unwanted, work situations that are unbearable, others trying to control us or, or assert their position of power against us, and even sometimes someone being needy, trying to smother us, people being disapproving of us, or those who we give so much time to being too busy to make time for us.
And oftentimes we manifest that we've had a trigger in lots of different ways by being needy, by being complacent, by becoming a people pleaser, by getting angry, by stonewalling, shutting down, withdrawing, blaming someone else for our pain, deflecting, projecting our emotions, or turning to substances or experiences that release pleasure. So food, alcohol, sex, drugs, gambling, excessive work, shopping, I'm gonna say that again, shopping, things that fill us, but don't actually fill us emotionally. They fill us with a sense of pleasure in the short term, but don't actually address the reasons that we've had that negative emotion. And so how do we identify our triggers? What are the best ways to do that? The best thing to do is to think about it. What situations do I find that I get angry in? What situations do I find that I shut down? In what situations do I find I become more tearful? What situations truly are unpleasant to me? Do I feel that if I am being bullied, I am more likely to raise my voice? I am more likely to stonewall? I am more likely to try to assert my own authority? Do you revert back into a childlike pattern of behavior when you feel as though someone is trying to assert their power position over you? These are the things that we can do to try to identify our triggers, to spot stimuli, things externally that are likely to offend us, that are likely to take us back to the place of trauma, and then to then begin to work on them, to then begin to develop coping strategies. And what we'd normally recommend in these situations is writing these things down writing down your triggers, writing down your responses to these triggers, and having a sit down with your therapist or your psychologist and talking about why you think this is your response to these triggers. Has it been a method of protection that you developed as a child? Did you find that when you were in that situation, that particular response freed you from traumatic experiences and when you then find that actually the responses to these triggers are not beneficial you can then begin to work on developing new alternatives new responses new ideas and new coping strategies that will help you so that when you identify the trigger you become consciously aware of how you're going to respond to it and that will then help us to prevent us from being stuck in this perpetual negative cycle experiencing negative triggers that constantly hurt our emotions and constantly hurt our psychology as well. If your trigger involves abuse in some way abuse as a child, abuse even as an adult, and you still have to be in contact with the perpetrator, or even in situations where 
a young child had been abused by a family member and during the holidays you had to see that family member over and over again these are the kind of things to discuss with your therapist engaging in challenging your abuser could be a very difficult situation but talking with your therapist about it would be able to help you to identify ways to do so potentially reporting to the police or potentially going to challenge the person in safety, not in isolation, not on your own. And so what we'd always recommend is if you found yourself in such a situation, speak to someone about it. Do not feel that you're alone in this because you're not. There's so many people out there willing to listen, willing to hear you, willing to offer you a hand of support. So we're going to be talking a bit more now on self-care. What is self-care and how can we engage in good self-care to relieve ourselves from the exhaustion that we experience? Especially over the holiday season, some of us go into holiday mode excited, but then get back to work on the 27th of December, exhausted, feeling unwell, feeling overfed. Why is that? And sometimes we fail at self-care because we do not prioritise ourselves. It's not easy. We're busy. We have stressful jobs. We're looking at screens all day. We're consumed by data overload, information overload. And we don't remember to take some time for ourselves. Some of us work through lunch. Some of us call it a working lunch every single day. But we don't actually pause to say... What have I done for myself today? What have I done to improve my health, my emotional well-being, my mental well-being, my physical well-being? These are things we'll discuss. One of the first things to ensuring that your energy levels are on point is sleep. How much sleep are you getting? And what kind of sleep are you getting? There's often a statement that says we will sleep when we are dead. But actually, is that accurate? Do the dead actually sleep? Not so much. Because the suggestion of sleep means that we will wake up. And so if the dead are sleeping, then that means we're expecting them to wake up when day breaks. So sleep has a significant effect on how we respond emotionally, on how we respond physically because it allows our brains to calm down and it gives us an opportunity to have what we call REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep and non-REM sleep. And both of these work hand in hand to give us restorative good quality sleep. Most of our dreams occur in the REM phase, which often happens for about 15 to 25 minutes where we then go back into non-REM sleep and the cycle often continues. What we recommend generally, based on evidence, is that adults would often need seven to nine hours of sleep, but most people find that they get just about four to six hours, while some others sleep up to 10 hours a day. If you find that you're sleeping four to six hours a day, as an adult, you may potentially have sleep deprivation and sleep debt. 
which means that your body is beginning to overdraw overdraw in terms of energy and in as much as you might not be feeling it regularly reaction time judgment time and other functions often do suffer when we have less sleep and some of the signs of sleep deprivation or sleep debt include feeling sleepy during the day falling asleep within about 15 minutes of, or five minutes of sitting down micro sleeps during the working hours mood changes and mood fluctuations forgetfulness being unable to focus on tasks as well problems with memory sleep also does affect the immune system stronger sensations of pain changes in your eating habits as well including overeating these things are often linked to sleep deprivation or sleep debt driver fatigue as well is something that can happen because of poor sleep and because of lack of sleep and obviously if you're driving and feeling drowsy at the wheel you could harm yourself or worse harm others as well and so we often recommend that getting your seven to nine hours of good quality sleep every night is one of the first steps in engaging in good quality self-care other things that we'd normally recommend one of the best self-care activities out there is exercise it doesn't have to be as intense as going to the gym it doesn't have to be an intense workout session several times a week but sim something simple like going for a walk a 15 minute brisk walk around your town or village increasing that to 30 minutes a day doing some yoga joining a zumba class on youtube simple things like this improve what we call your cardiovascular health and improve your self-care practicing gratitude is something certainly that we'd normally encourage taking in deep breaths and using other relaxation skills are definitely also recommended one of the most important things as well when it comes to self-care is practicing mindfulness and meditation these are things that can be learned through therapy but can also be learned through online CBT. Mindfulness involves being present in the moment, being present in your environment, taking notice of the sounds, the scents and the sights around you, ensuring that you're truly experiencing where you're at at that time, as opposed to your mind being in Alaska while your body is in Australia. Bringing your mind and your body together in quiet contemplation, but also in conscious reflection. So being present, even when you're surrounded by the presence at Christmas. See what I did there? Being present while being surrounded by the presence at Christmas. There are other things that you can also do to monitor your stress levels. If you feel that you're losing the ability to maintain your self-care, there are a few things that you can do. Meditate, 
go outside, get some fresh air, do some breathing exercises, try to produce positive thoughts, reflect on the positive things as opposed to the negatives. And if you even find that you're still struggling, ask for help. Ask for help. There is no shame in asking for help. So what have the other things that we've discussed so far? One, make sure you're getting enough sleep. Two, make sure you're exercising. Three, make sure you're practicing mindfulness and meditation, ensuring that you're present even when surrounded by the presence at Christmas time. Ask for help. Other things you can do are nurture yourself. Take a walk, get some fresh air, have a nap, listen to good music, and also be aware of what you're eating. Sometimes we find that at Christmas time we eat so much, even when we're happy, and sometimes when we're sad, we stuff our emotions with food. But the thing is, emotions don't actually respond to food. And so the overeating then perpetuates the negative emotional cycles. And so let us also be mindful about what we're eating over the Christmas period. How are we eating? What are we eating? Is what you're eating necessary? Are you eating because you're hungry? Or are you eating because you're upset? And these are the little things that we can do to improve the quality of our self-care at every given point, especially over the Christmas period. Some resources that we could recommend and obviously speak to your GP about using these as well are online resources and some also offer a 24-hour service over the telephone. These are UK-based resources. The first one is the Samaritans, samaritans.org. They have a contact page and there's always someone on the other end of the phone, 24-7, day or night, willing to speak to you and talk to you about the stress you're going through, your triggers, your trauma, and they're also able to signpost you to getting further help. mind.org.uk do quite a lot of work with mental health, supporting several people going through all kinds of difficulties with their mental health, with their mood, and with dementia as well. Headspace.com helps with meditation and mindfulness. They have an app and they have a free trial as well, where they encourage you to focus on your mindfulness to focus on how to meditate and live a mindful life on a daily basis and moodjuice.scot.nhs.uk also offer further self-help resources directed at helping you with your well-being with addiction with crisis with anxiety and with depression most important to remember that you are not alone in any given situation and there's always help on the other end of the line. Remember, self-care is not a myth and you can experience good quality self-care 
good quality mindfulness. You can live mindfully and be present even when surrounded by the presence at Christmas time. Merry Christmas from mine to yours. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Remember that this podcast in no way replaces the advice you receive from your own doctor or physician. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media. Leave us a review on iTunes so that others can access the amazing content. And do join the club at a sliceofhealth.club where you will also be able to access the profiles of the guests we've had on today. And don't forget to be a health champion wherever you are by separating health facts from health fiction. Thank you.